You're listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone and its online sister zine, IZ Digital. You can find out more about Interzone at interzone.press and more about IZ Digital at interzone.digital. Joining me on the show today are Cassandra Kaur and Richard Kadri, talking about their new book, The Dead Take the A-Train. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, hello, hello, Cassandra Kaur, and hello, Richard Kadri. Thank you very much for, for coming on Interzone Pod today. You, you have a new book out, the, the Dead Take the A-Train, and it's already out in the US, and I think it will be out in the UK by the time this show goes out. Yes, indeed. I think it comes out tomorrow. It, it, tomorrow, right. And it's, it's sort of described as uh, Buffy meets American Psycho, <laughs> um, Neil Gaiman meets Jessica Jones. These are all like sort of the marketing comps. I, I wonder sort of when and how did the two of you sort of hit on the idea for the novel? And, and how were you sort of pitching it to each other right at the beginning? During a card game with a bunch of demons. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, really, we started talking on Twitter and Richard had the a bare-bone outline of the book that he pitched to me and we started filling it out, adding characters, fleshing out characters, until it eventually became a bit of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, so one of one of the good things that Twitter gave us—that's <laughs> very kind to say. <laughs> did did one of you have a sort of clear idea of it at the beginning, or or was it sort of you know both of you were seeing it come into focus at the same time? Um, like I said, I think Richard had a lot of the original idea. I kind of squished the gore into it, so to speak. I added the entrails in it, anyways. So the entrails are you. Generally, all. All entrails in all books where my name is printed are my fault. <laughs> okay, okay. I do have a deep love for gore. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there is a lot of gore, and there's, and, and it's, um, and it's also, it's also very. I mean, the, the cover is great for it because it kind of does. It, there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of sort of color, and it's not just sort of color of you know the, the gore itself is brilliantly done, but there's also yeah it, it does feel like a like like a i mean it's it's a fun book in lots of ways um is that how is that sort of how the two i mean is that what kind of hooked you richard the sort of the the fact that it would be something maybe quite dark but also with this sort of strain of humor i think that's essential um and i think it was very natural for this book because julie cruz the protagonist is such a hot mess that you had to, um, Julie has a, a dark sense of humor about her circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that kind of infects the rest of the book that her wry, dark look at herself um, basically echoes through the other characters and the story itself. So, yeah. And I also think you need moments where you can not lighten up, but you can play with tone mm-hmm. in a horror novel. You can't just keep hitting people with a hammer all the time. You have to, you know, <clears throat> you have to back off for a second or two so that the next time you hit him with a hammer, it hurts more. <laughs> you spend all your time afraid. You're just traumatized into being very numb, I think. Right. I, I wonder, Richard, did um, did 
did this world, did this sort of idea for this world come first or, or was, was Julie Cruz there first? Was it sort of, was it character first or setting first? It was, uh, it was Julie. Um, I had a fairly clear picture of this kind of uh, drugged up, punked out psychic operative running wild in New York. And then it, it was, I think it just works like any other book. You have this character and then you sort of take a step back, you know, not just who is this character, but what world does this character inhabit? How does this character function in the world? Where does this character live? Who does she know? And um, it came, the basics came fairly easily in terms of what Cass said about coming up with a bare bones outline of the whole thing. But it took the two of us to develop it past that initial, here's Julie, here's what Julie wants, and here are some of her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Cass, uh, you, uh, Laura Moreau interviewed you for Interzone 294, and you said in that interview that, that your female characters are hungry. And I'll read the next part because it's a, it, it was a great answer. You said... Um, they're often hungry for equilibrium, for seeing things made right, for justice, for a chance to push back against the forces in the world. When someone and something has stripped everything from you and there's nothing to lose, uh, sorry, there's nothing to lose when you lunge back. Do, do you see that or, or did you see that when you started sort of thinking about the book, you know, with you know, in Julie Cruz? Oh, Yeah. Julie is down on her luck. She is a hot mess. She is a cocaine addict, an alcoholic. But I think people only get into those situations when they're desperate to grab onto something, even if they don't necessarily recognize it, which I think is partially why she doubled down on trying to save her friend, because here at last was something she could do that was genuinely good for someone who was her polar opposite. Julie is absolutely starving to do the right thing. That that's a great way of putting it. Um, uh, Richard, your your history with Interzone goes back to to Interzone Seven, where you did illustrations for 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 Michael Bloomlean's uh, Tissue Ablation and Variant Regeneration: A Case Report, which is a great title and, and a great story. Yep. Yeah, Interzone published my very first short story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then your first story. Um, the Firecatcher. Um, I, I wonder, and also your your visual art was in was in nine, right? You had that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, Ian Miller likes some of my collages, so I was in several issues. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, kind of thinking back, did did you did you know then? I mean, did you have a clear idea then of of where you wanted to go in terms of the writing and the visual art? I know, I know you mentioned in that issue that you'd been writing. And the kind of visual art had come out of the writing, I think. But did you have an idea of what you wanted to be doing? Well, I always wanted to be writing. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've, I've been writing um, stories and um, articles. I mean, I started out as a journalist and sort of worked my way into fiction writing. And as for the art I did uh, and the music I do now, um, sometimes I need a break from words. And so the art and the music are a way to be creative, but non-verbally. Um, one is, you know, I just, I just want to clear words out of my head for a while. And both of those really, really help because 
I empty my head out and then it wants to be filled up again. So I'm all about images and sound for a while. And then words start crawling back and then I start, then I start writing again and it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, I love, Mm -hmm. I love doing, I love doing um, writing and uh, mostly music these days. And they really, really balance each other out for me. Right. You need both of them to, to kind of sustain yourself. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And and if I had to make a choice, it's always going to be writing. And what about you, Cass? Do, do you feel, do you have those moments where you need to kind of like step back and, and recharge? Are, are you are you doing the same kind of thing or, or not? Oh, yes, definitely. I need to get out and go to the gym or for a run at least once a day. Otherwise, I go slightly mad. Um, one of my trainers, I think, expressed it really well. I'd had a really rough day at work and it came in and I was like, I, I need to figure myself out. And my trainer just sort of gave this very wise sign on ah, you need to fix yourself back into your body. And I was like, you know what? That, that sort of makes sense. And so I do a lot of weightlifting. Uh, recently, it's been a lot of experimenting with how pole works. And I found lately I really like long runs. It's it's a nice way to like bounce my brain back into a proper shape. Yeah, that your your you mentioned your job and you're 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 working with video games, right? Mm-hmm. Do, which is sort of inherently sort of collaborative. And and I wonder, did you like when you were writing your fiction? Did you did you kind of think about collaborations before this, or or did this kind of come as a surprise? This one was more of a surprise. The collaboration that happens at work is completely different because if you think about books, they're kind of discrete objects, even if you're talking about something in a series, whereas every game requires multiple disciplines working in tandem. Otherwise, it just can't happen. Um, You have your art, you have your design, you have your programming. They're just such entirely different schools. And and with this, with with the co-writing, did did you find that, you each had strengths that were sort of that you were that you were kind of bouncing off each other and that, and that you did find sort of you sort of saw each other's writing in different ways through through that co-writing oh yes Richard actually knows how to write long novels before that I'd only ever really done novellas and I remember just kind of crying at him but I, I got write a novel and he was just <laughs> gently dragging me through the outline process and 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 Richard, what, what I mean, you, you've you've written a lot of longer stuff, and you've you've written short fiction as well. What what do you? I mean, do do you have a do you have a strong preference at the moment? Do you feel yourself just drawn to a certain length more than another? Well, I'm finishing up uh, the second novella in a series that started with the Pale House Devil. I'm finishing up the Flesh King right now, and there'll be one more after that. So I prefer longer forms. I mean, um, novellas are sort of that middle ground between a short story and a novel for me. And each of them has its place, but I, I tend to like longer forms. I mean, I started out writing books um, really before I started writing short stories. I, I was always working on longer pieces. So I like hopping back and forth between those three, but short stories are sort of um, the third of the bunch. I like novels, I like novellas, and I like short stories last. And really, when you get down to it, a lot of my stories over the last few years have been written specifically because Ellen Datlow asked me <laughs> to do one. 
Okay. You know, and it's like, I would never have, you know, she asked me to write a, 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 a doll story, a haunted doll story. And it's like, what the hell do I know about dolls? <laughs> and it's the same thing with a Christmas horror story. Although that came a little bit easier because I have some weird interests about Christmas. Okay. The Christmas horror story is in Ellen Datlow's The New Collection? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we both have stories in there. Oh, you both have stories in there. Okay, sorry. My re research failed there. I didn't realize. Um, so the, the, the title of that is? Christmas and Other Horrors. So if you're looking for Christmas-related horror gifts, that's that's the one to get. Um, you, um, you, I, I, I kind of... I felt there was a lot of energy in this book. It kind of, it, it really does sort of like, it, it, it does move. And, it, and the dialogue as well in particular is very, very, I, I love the, the conversations and the dialogue. And I wonder, how did the writing process work? And when you are writing together, how do those things, you know, you know do you each take a scene? Are you kind of, you know, you know, doing it kind of in smaller chunks and then combining things? How, how did the actual co-writing process look for this one? It was kind of a disaster at first. Yeah, we tried doing the alternate chapters thing. It absolutely didn't work. Um, because of my day job, I'm really used to working in a black box. I would get assignments like briefs saying, okay, we need X, Y, and Z, and nothing would be created at all. And I'd be like, cool, I'm, I'm just going to make it. Uh, whereas Richard actually writes novel and lives a sane life and has a sane connection with narrative and actually needed linear continuity so i ended up holding up the process for a while before richard kind of went okay i do need your preceding chapters before it can continue <laughs> but that was fine because that, that that we ended up working out how to finally make the thing work and that was instead of writing each of us writing little bits and gluing them together we ended up writing huge chunks and handing those off entire drafts yeah, basically, basically drafts of the whole book. We, we generally just wrote, we, one person would write the draft, edit it as required, and the other person would just do their pass over it. So collectively, I think we wrote about 300,000 words each as a result. Yeah, but, that, but it worked. I think going, making those passes made it, uh, merged our voices in a way where you can't, can't, peel the thing apart and people I know people have been going like oh is this a Richard is this a Richard bit is this a cast bit and I don't think you can tell at this point I mean, because we we did we did work so hard to make one unified voice mm -hmm. in, in that interzone piece you wrote something really interesting you said that you're uh, in your art you're attempting to it, it's a really great quote uh, to capture ciphers of personal mythology the symbols of which make little sense to the rational mind but which resonates strongly in the subconscious. Um, is that something, you know, the personal mythology, the, the symbols, the, the subconscious, are, are those things that you're still thinking about a lot in your work? Oh, sure. Um, I, I think all that, I think whether people are aware of it or not, they all have these, the symbology that, that makes sense um, to them. And it may be unconscious and it comes out in their work in sort of repeating patterns or characters or monsters or something like that. But I mean, a lot of that quote um, is me just stealing from the surrealists who had a very big influence on me and still do mm -hmm. um, both the painters and the writers. But I believe basically, I still believe everything I said there. 
and, and in terms of influences with the writing, do you, are, are there certain writers you find yourself going back to more than others? Well, I mean, the original three that got me started were William Burroughs, uh, Robert Stone, and um, really, um, um, like a lot of people, when I started getting um, decent at things, um, later on, I mean, I was playing with cyberpunk originally, and then along came Gibson and Pat Cadigan and people like that. And it was just like these ideas I've been playing with. It's like, this is how all this works. You know, I had like a bunch of little Lego pieces and they're the ones who showed me like, Oh, how, how to construct this world that was in my head. But now, um, the people I go back to are people like, uh, Cormac McCarthy and JG Ballard and people like that, that really, uh, inspire me. I mean, there's a lot of modern horror and stuff, but the people that built me were people like, uh, mostly Ballard, Robert Stone and, um, William Burroughs. Cass. Oh, we were just talking about influences. I I wonder, uh, yeah. Who, who do you, who do you find yourself going back to most or, or reading most? Oh Lord. It's so varied. Um, I, I enjoy reading the works of my contemporaries primarily. I love Desmond Muir. I enjoy Alex Harrow, Peter Jelly Clark. I adore T.K. Um, a lot of T. King Fisher's work, not all of them work for me, um, but most do. Um, I spend a lot of time reading nonfiction as well. I have a deep love for the genre, especially when they're digging deep into a specific topic. I've discovered that a prose is often incredibly poetic, which most people don't seem to recognize. And also sometimes it's just there are books that describe terrible things in the most beautiful ways, and I love all of it. I also read a lot of medical journals for fun. Medical journal, oh, okay. Going back to the, the merging voices that you mentioned earlier, I'm kind of intrigued by this. And, and also, you know, did, did you find, or, or looking at it now, do you find that your own process has changed because you've, you know, done this collaboration, because you've worked so closely with another writer? Has, has that fed back into your own work in interesting ways? I'm looking at prose differently now after working with Cass. I, um, I tend to have a very minimal style, and, and it varies from book to book. I mean, The Pale House Devil is some of the most uh, stripped-down minimalist writing I've ever done, and that's very deliberate. A story of mine, uh, Across the Dark Water, is more elaborate, and that's deliberate. But in general, looking at the way Cass constructs prose and having gone through that with them on this book, um, it's really made me think about expanding the kind of prose I use. So a new story I finished, um, The Last Love Story, had some influence uh, of Cass's prose in there. Ah, okay. I write novels now. I would have written novels before. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that kind of leads into the next question, I suppose, which is which is um, Cass. You've you've had this. Um, you've had a, a short story collection from Undertow recently, and um, Richard, you've got this novella from Titan. And I wonder, could you uh, tell Interzone listeners a little bit about those um, because they they might not have heard of them yet, and also about anything else you have on the horizon? Any any sort of things that are coming 
Uh, half the things I have on the horizon are all under NDA right now, so I can't talk about them. Uh, but there is at least one novel that is not related to Carrion City that is due out in 2025, and there is a tie-in novel coming out in 2024. Uh, as for the collection, I'm a fairly prolific short story writer, or at least I was before I started writing longer fiction. And for years now, I've had readers wail at me about how to access all of the stories because they're scattered across the world. And one day I was like, you know what, a collection sounds about right. I have, what, 50 stories published now in various professional venues. It, it seems about time. I had absolutely no idea how to put one together. And Angela Slater, uh, I love her works. Finnegan's Field remains one of my favorite short stories. And I cannot wait for her to come to film. I was like, I know how to put them together. And she, she showed me the ropes. We got a table of contents strung together and started poking around asking different houses. And Undertrow had always amazed me with how well they did with their collections, how beautiful the collections were and how precise Michael was about the way he constructed them. And lo and behold, all things um, tumble together. It's mostly weird, dark fantasy, slipstream horror stuff, which I think is what I'm traditionally best known for, with one original story about sulkies. And to my utter shock and delight, it's won one Bram Stoker Award. It's been nominated for the British Fantasy Award, the Locust Award, and the World Fantasy Award. So it's the little book that could, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, Richard, your your novella, The Pale House Devil, you said it's, it's there's a there's a follow up. Um, that's kind of NDA stuff too. Is that NDA stuff too? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, The Pale House Devil is about two hitmen one alive and one dead, who um, blow a job in New York so they have to go out west to get away from the repercussions. And they take a job in California, and what they find is something that is not alive or dead, and they have to deal with that. And book two uh, has them with a new friend going back to New York City and kind of trying to pick up their lives again and running into someone who is in some ways worse than the cosmic horror. And that's right now that what book is called um, the, uh, the flesh King. And there'll be a third one out. Um, so that'll probably be out next year. And there'll be a third one out after that. Oh, that's exciting. And um, I actually have three books out this year. I also have uh, a book of short stories called the secrets of insects. And that's out from subterranean press. And I'm, I'm very I'm very happy about that because I've always been, I haven't had that much confidence in my short stories, even though people like Ellen Datlow buy them and they've been reprinted and stuff like that. It's always been a little neurotic thing for me looking at my short fiction. So the fact that Subterranean uh, wanted to do a book with me was just really exciting. And so that's out in, you know, that's out as a really gorgeous you know, if you know Subterranean Press, they do beautiful editions. So that's out, and um, that was exciting. And then, you know, pretty happy about pretty pretty happy about uh, <laughs> about um, Dead Take the A Train too. That's been, you know, there was a lot of work and a lot of love going into that book, and it's been really fun finally seeing it out in the world and getting people's reactions. 
and also exciting things might be happening in the background. (laughs) (laughs) That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, the, 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 the thing I was going to ask you was, uh, you, you said you, you kind of lacked confidence with the short stories, but that first story that was in Interzone was picked up right the, the year after in Omni. I don't know if, I don't know if that was. No, it was, and it was in fact Ellen Datlow back when she was at Omni. It was Ellen Datlow. I, I wasn't, yeah, I, I couldn't yep. quite verify that in time, but I, I wondered. Yep. So she, she saw something right from the beginning. Ellen's been really great. I mean, she's been really supportive for a long, long time, and it's really helped me. So, I mean, yeah, Ellen's one of the people that makes me think, like, all right, you know, I, I can write short stories and I should keep writing them. That's great. So, so sh- short stories and novels from both of you, but NDAs as well. Um, yes. Can we? <laughs> um, the Dead Take the A Train uh, is, it, it, I mean, it, it clearly ends at a point where, you know, more, more can come. When you were, Richard, when you, when you were first thinking about it, were, were you thinking about it as a series? Or, or, I mean, was there a particular point where you thought, yeah, this has got, you know, this has got legs to be, to be something ongoing? Yeah, I, I always thought if we wrote Julie... Julie the right way that it could be a series. I think, you know, Julie was the key to the whole thing. If we could make her someone interesting and complex enough, there, there could be a lot of Julie stories to tell. And, um, you know, um, to our luck, uh, Nightside, uh, Night, sorry, fire? Night Fire is our publisher. And, um, you know, they bought two of the books right off the bat. So we are working on book two now. Okay. And is there, I mean, is there a date or a tentative date or not yet? Oh God, not yet. Publishing is a weird and esoteric thing. No, don't, don't. Don't say that. Sorry. Okay. We're, we're ducking our editors at this moment. Okay. I, I mean, they probably won't hear this, but. <laughs> you never know. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, you never know. The, um, <clears throat> going to say, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the 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 thing about the thing about um, cast the thing about sort of gaining confidence with novels and i suppose you, you you can't talk about specifics but but what did what kind of unlocked you you mentioned like narrative like like what kind of unlocked do you think that that made it sort of made you feel more confident doing your own novels oh, i don't know if it's a confidence issue honestly as more of a psychological block um, I worked in journalism for ages, and my background is in computer engineering, actually. So my, my entire life has me essentially prepped for making the most minimal thing possible. Like, if you're writing code, you don't want pages and pages of it. You want the most effective, concise um, series of code you can get. And the same with journalism, you're always working within a word count. So all of that just got bludgeoned into my head. I really was, it wasn't until the Dead Takes the A-Train that I started like uncoiling a little bit and going, oh, I'm allowed to stretch my wings. And my characters have gotten infinitely more talkative. And now I'm just trying to read them in so they would leave a chapter so we can go to the damn next one. And and, and do you each have sort of like f- favorite moments from this book? Are, are there or, or favorite kind of moments from the process, you know, that sort of like, you know, conversations you had or... Or things in the book that that, so you, that really stand out? My favorite is a chapter that the editors made us cut 
<laughs> I really like that chapter. Yeah, we lost two chapters that that uh, we liked, but we put in a lot more stuff that they didn't they didn't know about <laughs> until the very end. Mm-hmm. The book got a lot bigger than they were expecting because we just started. You know, it's one of those things where the story and the characters wouldn't shut up. <laughs> well, the, the, yeah, this is the yeah they it does feel like that kind of book. It does feel like it would have. It, it, it sort of there's it's bursting with you know with that energy um and i kind of wonder i mean did 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 you so some writers talk about overwriting and then cutting and the others talk about underwriting and then you know adding you know adding stuff did be because you were because you were collaborating how did that work was there you know was there a lot of sort of you know expanding stuff and conversations about you know cutting stuff back were, were there arguments you know dare i say no, they really weren't. We were also going through a lot of life crises at that time, so we were just focused on making the book work. Although the first pass, the book was a lot smaller. And then the second pass, the book got very, very big, so we had to trim that yeah. down. And all of it that was done with the editor's supervision. There were, there, were no, there were no arguments on this. We both know each other, we like each other, we trust each other. And the other key thing is when you're collaborating, letting go of ego. There was no ego in writing the book. We each mm-hmm. could write, um, could edit each other's work, expand characters, change things around. And it's all in the service of the story. Um, at no point was there any kind of squabbling over, no, this is my bit, this is my bit. And uh, probably also helped that both of us have a journalism background. Like you learn true. to trust in the process and in the work. Right. And you, and you work with, I mean, the other thing I think that we've both learned over the years is you work with good people. You don't work with jerks. Mm-hmm. That's key to all of these things. We're both old enough now. We don't want to work with people we don't like. And, and I'm, I'm guessing just from, just from the humor that you mentioned, the dark humor and the humor that runs through it, you, you must have a very, I mean, your, your sense of humor must, your senses of humor must, um, must uh, connect quite, quite nicely. Cause it's, it's a really, I mean, there are some really funny, funny bits. Oh, thank you. Did you find yourself laughing at, at, at what each other had written? Oh, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was each, it was fun seeing, you know, going through each draft, there were always just these, these fun surprises that were, um, that were great to find. So um, the dead take the A train is out now in the U S and out to, well, it's already the 31st for me. So it's out um, now. (gasps) Yep. Halloween. Um, I I wonder just to sort of, yeah, wrapping things up. Do you have any, any, any sort of Halloween recommendations, anything that's sort of, that, that sort of caught your eye recently that you'd like to, to give a shout out to? Fall of the House of Usher is surprisingly good. I'm really enjoying how mm-hmm. they're pulling together all of the random uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories into a really coherent storyline. Huh. Mike Flanagan is definitely becoming very Mike Flanagan in the best way. And he also did, he before he did um, House of Usher, based on Poe, right? He, he did um, The Haunting of Hill House, based on Shirley Jackson, where he did the same kind of deconstruction in this brilliant way and just dismantle the book and put it all back together again in a whole new way. I also recommend picking up Nestlings by Nat Cassidy, which comes out 31st August. Sorry, October 31st. I'm tired. 
um, in the U.S. I'm not sure how you can get it in the U.K., but it's still my book of the year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. What 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 is it that makes it the book of the year for you? Um, it's it's the writing, honestly, and how layered and beautiful and complicated the main character is. Um, the main character is a new mother. Um, she was formerly a personal trainer and dancer, but complications with birth uh, cost her the entirety of her mobility. So there she is wrestling with the fact she can no longer walk. She can barely move through a world that she flowed so easily through. Wrestling with the fact that she both loves her child and resents her child. And there is a delicacy and detail in it I don't really see with male authors. And all of this is wrapped up in a weird little mystery where the couple that she's a part of you know, winning a housing lottery and moving into a luxury apartment and everything is not what it seems. And there are creepy buildings and creepy children and weird, uh, spooky monsters. And it deals with a bunch of issues, everything from classism to anti-Semitism to how labor can be incredibly disproportionate in relationships. Like, all of it is packed in tight. And still, Cassidy lands the landing. Like, it's great. It's also just really propulsive. Like it's a popcorn book while having a lot of substance. Hmm. Well, that sounds great. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Richard, anything you wanna you wanna throw in at the end? Um, two books and two movies. Um, Wild Spaces by S. L. Coney, which is a very messed up family story with uh, cosmic horror mixed in there. And I'm a big fan of Mayfly by C. J. Lead. It is, um, the, the, the elevator pitch is sort of um, the female version of American Psycho, but it's a lot smarter, a lot funnier, and a lot weirder. And it all takes place uh, in Southern California, which, you know, endears the book to me. Uh, two Movies Talk to Me is a brilliant Australian horror film about teens there's an old theme of um, in books and movies of like teens, the teen Ouija board thing, the teens playing with magic. This is that idea, but done brilliantly and smartly and in a very frightening and touching way. Mm-hmm. And I'd also recommend um, When Evil Lurks, which is um, done by the Argentinian director who did Terrified a few years ago, which is one of the great... Um, suburban ghost stories. If you liked Poltergeist, this is Poltergeist going a million miles an hour. So see Terrified and When Evil Lurks. Okay. Lots of great Halloween recommendations. And so, uh, Cassandra Core, you you have um, your collection, Breakable Things, is available from Undertow. Uh, The Pale House Devil uh, by Richard Kadri, that's from Titan. Uh, there is the short story collection. You can help me, Richard, from... Oh, The Secrets of Insects is from Subterranean Press. There you go. Okay, so definitely take a look at that because those, yeah, su- sub-press stuff is always gorgeous. Um, and, of course, The Dead Take the A-Train, which is brilliant and hopefully spawns many, many future installments because I do want to find out what happens with Julie Cruz. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, th- thank you very much for coming on the show um and uh yeah uh, hopefully hopefully we can talk again when when you next have something awesome out <laughs> that is not nd8 <laughs>
You've been listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone and IZ Digital, its online sister zine. You can find out more about Interzone and subscribe at interzone.press. And you can read stories for free and reviews and interviews at interzone.digital. Thanks for listening.